You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. So a little bit more than, or a little bit less than two decades ago, I was 14 years old. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. It's me. Yeah. Let me, let me allow myself to introduce myself. I'm Humby. Yeah. <laughs> so about a little over two decades ago, a little under two decades ago, I was 14 years old, right? And back then, uh, I don't know if it's the same thing now, but back then, the number one thing I was living for and a lot of my friends were like waiting for and, and crossing off and, and circling dates on, on our wall was when we turned 16 because that's when we could drive, right? Like that was the biggest day of your life was being able to get behind the wheel of a car and have the freedom to drive around and, and like do whatever you wanted to, right? Well, I mean, mostly whatever you wanted to. So for me, I was 14, and I was like, okay, when I turn 15, that's driver's permit, right? That's your learner's permit. So you gotta, I got to figure out, I got to be ready. I got to be ready to go by the time I turn 15. I got, I got to be ready. So I'm 14 years old, and I'm like going and, and asking my dad, hey, can, can I learn to drive? Can, can you teach me how to drive? I want to be, be able, when I turn 15 and I get my permit, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's do it. So um, one day, he's like, okay, okay, let's do it. Uh, but, but I want you to learn the right way. I want you to learn uh, how to drive, and you can drive any car, so you don't have to worry about anything. And I said, okay, that, that's cool. So uh, that day, he took me out in, the, in our truck, or in, in his truck, and um, it was a, a manual transmission, you know? Um, so you got the stick shift. Some people call it standard transmission, manual transmission. Uh, whatever it is, uh, there's a, a clutch and a, a stick that I have to shift around and do a bunch of stuff with. So that day, I, you know, he takes me up there. We go to the middle school right down the street. And we're in the parking lot. He kind of walks me through everything. Okay, this is how you start it. Push the clutch in, do this and that, put it in a neutral. This is how you get out of first gear. This is how you move it. This is how you switch gears. He's walking me through the entire thing. Not only that, you know, I've ridden in the car and the truck a bunch of times. I've seen him do it. I get an idea. I know the rhythm of it. I can feel it. I'm like, piece of cake. Totally got this, right? So he goes ahead and I, I sit down. I'm fired up, ready to go turn on the car, you know, turn on the truck. I'm all, I'm all excited because I, I got it turned on. You know, that's like the easiest part. Uh, got it turned on. I'm feeling all, all awesome. And go and I put it into first gear and I start going. And as those of you who have learned how to drive a uh, manual transmission, it's <laughs> and it's done. Okay, well, let me try it again. Get it started, put it in first gear. I, I don't know what the actual time was that, that passed, but between my first one and, and me getting a little bit further to the next step, it, was, it had to have been like 45 minutes of me just stalling the truck out and just getting frustrated. So then my dad's like, just give it gas. I, I, I think he said that phrase, just give it gas, like at least 100 times during this, during this time. Just give it gas. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give it gas. So then I give it gas, and I give it way too much gas as I pop the clutch, and er, and I start peeling out of there. So then I freak out and just pull my foot off the gas, and then So it's, it's crazy. It's, it's not fun. I'm not having a good time. Well, finally, finally, I do it right. I get the right balance. I get us out of first gear. We start moving, and he's like, okay, let's go down. Let's start turning. Let's, let's start doing some stuff. Let's start moving around. Well, as I start to turn... You know, we're going, we're, we're flying. We're going like two, three miles an hour in this parking lot. And as I start to turn, I pull my foot off the gas. Well, when you're going that slow and you're in first gear still, 
what happens. And it starts shaking again, and I don't know what to do. So I do the first thing that comes to mind, which is take my foot off the wheel, my foot off the gas, and put my foot on the brake, and it just stalls out. And my poor dad, he, he looks at me, and he, I mean, he just like stares at me, and he's confused, and he's like, why would you do that? I mean, just, just give it gas. <laughs> Don't take your foot off the gas. And I mean, I imagine he's thinking like, I gave him this plan. I laid the whole thing out for him. I showed him how to do it. We did the whole thing. He was doing it right. He did it the right way. And then all of a sudden, something goes a little weird, and he completely forgets everything that got him there up to that point. And I think it's, it's interesting that we see that in a way uh, biblically, we see a story like that with one of Jesus' disciples, Simon. And so we're, I'm going to take you guys to, to a part of Jesus' ministry with Simon where um, at that point, Jesus is like full-on rock star Jesus mode, right? Like there are crowds of people just when he shows up to a new town, everybody's like rushing to get a piece of Jesus, right? Everybody's like, hey, oh man, yeah, Jesus is here. And so people are like running out. Everybody's going to see him. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there's one story where they're talking about it where uh, 5,000 men show up to hear Jesus preach. So that's just men. That's the only number they give in the Bible. So we imagine that there's probably a lot more women and children that are out there also. Uh, so they're all out there. Jesus is preaching. He's, he's spreading stuff, uh, you know, talking to them, uh, giving them great ideas on how to live their life in the right way, teaching about his father, all these great things. And it starts to get a little bit late. So uh, they're not sure where the food's going to come from. The disciples aren't sure. Jesus is like, hey, don't worry about it. I got this, um, which, by the way, isn't biblical. He, he doesn't actually say that, but that's just kind of my interpretation of it. Jesus is saying, hey, I got this. Uh, bring me a couple of loaves of bread. Brings five loaves over, blesses it, two fish, bless it. Everybody there gets fed. There's leftovers on top of that. So a uh, fantastic miracle that Jesus does, right, for all these people. Well, immediately, right after it's done, Jesus rushes the disciples to get onto a boat and cross the Sea of Galilee, go to the other side. He's like, hey, man, you guys get out of here, go to the other side, meet you guys there. So he sends them off. Then he goes to the 5,000 plus people, makes sure that they all leave, that they all get home. And then he goes into the wilderness to to spend some time with his father, pray, and just refuel himself. So he's out there doing that. It's well past dark. It was already late in the afternoon when he was preaching, so it's well past dark. He's out there in the wilderness. Well, at that time, his uh, disciples are still out on the boat uh, doing, doing their thing, crossing the Sea of Galilee. So uh, this week, we're going to be teaching in Matthew 14, uh, going through Matthew 16. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, you're more than welcome to. If you have a Bible app, you want to pull it out and, and pull up uh, that, that book, you're more than welcome to do that. If not, we're going to have all the scripture on the screen, so don't worry about that uh, if you guys want to follow along. So we'll pick up in Matthew 14, 24. So it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it is a ghost. So put yourselves in in these guys' shoes, in the disciples' shoes. They're on a boat. Some of them might be in flippity-flops. I don't know. Um, So they're there hanging out on the boat, and they're tired. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. 
There's a crazy storm going on around them, right? Like, it talks about it. Crazy storm going on. Uh, so they're awake. They just saw Jesus perform a miracle. So they're probably still, like, trying to digest what happened, and they're trying to figure out how it went down and who he is. And, and I'm sure they've got all kinds of questions in their head, and, and they're kind of spinning, right? They've been on the water for a long time, hours and hours and hours. And here comes Jesus, just in the middle of the sea, just hanging out, no big deal, like he does it all the time. Meanwhile, they're already scared because of the storm. So there's waves and stuff going, and they see like Jesus like going up and down, walking across these waves. And they're like, we left this dude hours ago. In parts of the scripture, it says that they were miles away from the shore. So Jesus is miles and miles out in the middle of this sea, and here he is walking up. So they're like, losing it, right? I mean, imagine if you're there and you see your boy like walking up on the water you, in the middle of the night, miles away from shore, you're losing your mind. How is this happening? So the only thing that they can think of, the best thing that they can muster up is their best like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy impression, right? It, it, it's a ghost. That's the best they could do. That's, the, that's like the easiest thing that they could say. That's how they thought Jesus had gotten out there. They couldn't fully comprehend what Jesus was capable of. That's why they were, there was terror. There was crying out. So let's take a look back at the scripture in Matthew 14, 27 to see how Jesus reacts to them. But Jesus spoke to them at once, immediately. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. I love this. I love what Jesus is saying in this moment. Because what he's doing is he's letting them know exactly who he is. He's not like openly coming out and saying it, but it's kind of like a coded message the way he does it. So let me explain. You, you know, um, back in the book of Exodus, uh, Moses encounters a burning bush. And what he's doing is he's uh, talking with this burning bush. And really what it does is he's talking with God. So the burning bush is telling him to go, go out and do these things. And Moses asked the, the bush, well, who do I say is sending me to go and do all these things? Who do, what do I tell Israel um, is sending me? And so the bush, being God, replies to him. He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. So then if you look back at what he says right here, Jesus says, don't be afraid, take courage. I am here. If you look at the Greek translated to the Hebrew, it's the exact same phrasing that they use in Exodus. So what Jesus is really telling them is, don't be afraid. Take courage. God is here. That's really what's going on here, guys. Don't freak out. The creator of the universe is standing right here. You're going to be okay. So I find this super interesting, and it fires me up because Jesus is explaining it to him, and it's kind of coded. So let's see uh, what one of his disciples has to say after he says God is here. So we go to Matthew 14, 28. Simon said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Have me walk on the water with you. So when it comes to Simon, uh, you see him throughout the the New Testament, uh, he's like your friend that says things before he thinks about stuff a lot of times. 
Uh, we've all got that guy or that girl that just acts and says things and then like thinks about it later on. Um, this is Simon. He does this a handful of times throughout the New Testament. And uh, so some people, a lot of people think that in this moment, he's acting out of sheer foolishness, just reacting and just going like, okay, well, if you're God, have me go out there. Um, but to me, when I look at this, I think Simon's acting out of wisdom because he's already seen Jesus uh, perform a miracle. He saw it that exact day, that day before, right? He saw the, the 5,000 plus get fed. Not only that, he's seen people get healed uh, just by Jesus touching them. He's seen Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. And then when you look at it, take a look at how he uh, replies to Jesus. He says, Lord, if it is you. He doesn't say like, hey, buddy, if that's, you know, if that's you out there. He doesn't say like, hey, ghost Jesus, if it's you out there, no, he says, Lord. So that means, that implies that he understands the power and he understands exactly who he is and what he is out there. So to me, it's a wise decision. He understands who Jesus is. He understands the power that he possesses and he's ready to go out there because he's like, hey, if anything bad happens, that's on you, bro, right? It's not his power that he's ready to step out on. So Let's see how Jesus replies to this. There in Matthew 14, 29, it says, And he, being Jesus, said, Come! And Simon got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. So this is super interesting to me. This is crazy, right? Because there he is doing an incredible feat. But I know some of you are thinking, okay, well, you're imagining like the boat's kind of small and, and Simon can kind of like put one foot in and put one foot out and, you know, make sure he's still got his full weight like in the boat, but just kind of test the water to make sure that it's actually solid. Where in fact, you got to remember, this was a boat that was carrying all the disciples on it. Um, and not only that, you know, the disciples weren't exactly like towing around a boat with them. So it's probably they're borrowing somebody else's boat. So I would imagine that that person that owned the boat is also on the boat with them, kind of making sure that everything's going well. So there's at least 13 people on this boat. So think about a boat that carries 13 people. It's not a little thing that you can just stick your foot off and hit water, right? It's normally a little bit bigger. Let's just say it's like, I don't know, we'd say it's like maybe the size of this stage right here. So when we look at it, like, I can't, like, stick my foot in and touch the ground. I can't do that. Um, I can't touch the ground and make sure that it's actually going to hold me. You know, with, with that, it, it's kind of crazy. You have to, like, fully go out for it, right? There's no, like, halfway. There's no, you know, lukewarm. There isn't anything like that. You're either fully in the boat or you're fully out of the boat. And so for me... I'm landing on the ground, and I see it, and it's real, and it's hard, and I, I, don't ha I didn't have to test it. I mean, for me, I knew that this is real ground, and it's going to hold me. Um, but for Simon, he's standing on the water. He had to fully step out, right? That's full faith. He's stepping out. And in that moment, when God, when Jesus says, come, when he utters that phrase, all of physics, everything that we know about how water behaves is changed. 
all through that one phrase. So there's Simon, he's walking on water, and I can imagine he's pumped up, right? He's like, I did something right, this is awesome. Not only that, I'm like standing on Jesus's word. How incredible is that? I'm literally standing on his word and doing something incredible. At that point, only two people had ever done that. He's the second person to ever do it, Jesus being the first, happening right in front of him. And it's not the first time we've seen something like this happen, right? Where we've seen somebody step out in faith and God fully hold them up. We talked about it last week with Gideon. When he took on 135,000 soldiers with only an army of 300. He took 300 in and none of the 300 men had to lift a sword in battle. They didn't even have to fight anybody. God took care of the entire battle for them. They left their warriors at home, trusted in the Lord, right? So this is what exactly what Simon's doing. He's leaving his own strength behind and he's trusting in Jesus. And for those of us who've done something like that, for those of us who have stepped out and followed God's word and done what he wants us to do in our lives, when we start walking down that path, that's exciting. You're fired up. You're ready to go. You're like, oh man, Look at this, look at this blessing, look at all these things that, that Jesus, that God's giving me because I listened to him. This is fantastic. It's all good, and that's exactly where Simon is living. That's exactly where he's at in that moment. But it's short-lived. Let's look at the next verse, 1430. There it says, but seeing the wind, Simon became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So I'm always intrigued by this part. Simon is doing one of the greatest feats ever known to man, right? Like I said, second person to ever walk on water. And he's foiled by a breeze. That's what takes him out. Now, okay, I'm, I'm probably not being fair. It's probably more than just a breeze because, you see, Simon was a former fisherman. So anybody that spends their entire life and their livelihood on the water, well, they've probably been on the water in a storm before, and they understand, like, you know, well, a couple of waves isn't going to really mess with them. But what he's seeing, it's so intense that a seasoned fisherman is freaking out about these waves. Not only that, if you think about it, if Simon's on the water and there's waves and there's wind and whatever, and he's, like, trying to keep an eye on Jesus... Well, as he goes up, I'm sure another wave might come in front of him or go in front of Jesus, and he literally would lose sight of Jesus in front of him. So it's during that time that he loses sight that all of a sudden this guy Peter, who sometimes acts before he thinks, the full gravity of the situation might be landing on him. And he's realizing, I don't have the skills necessary to walk on water, Right? how am I doing this? And he's looking around and he's seeing the wind and he's seeing the waves and he's hearing everything and he's just freaking out. So at that point, that's when he starts to sink. And I read this story and it makes me think of 14-year-old me sitting there in the car, having adversity and forgetting to put my foot on the gas. And I know when, re when we read this story, we look at it and we go, Simon, come on, man, what are you doing? 
You're doing fantastic things. This is incredible. How could you forget? Like you've been on the water for a minute and you already forgot the blessing that Jesus just gave you to be able to do it. A lot of us are thinking that. But the more I read into this, the more I thought about it, the more I meditated on it, the more I realized that I've been in that same position, drowning Simon so many times. I'm sure a lot of us like to think we're like, you know, Simon standing at the edge of the boat going, call me out there, Lord. I got the faith if that's what you want me to do. But a lot of times, just as often, probably more often, we're the guy in the water that lost sight of Jesus, that forgot the blessing and the word that we were literally standing on. And that's why today our big idea is this. Once you trust in the Lord, keep your foot on the gas. Once you trust in the Lord, keep your foot on the gas. So when you find yourself in the middle of adversity, just continue to look for Jesus. Just continue to move in that same direction. Don't worry about the wind and the water and the rain and all that stuff. Just continue to follow that path. Keep your foot on the gas in the best way possible. Do that. Now, I understand we're all human and we're flawed. So at some point, you're going to drown. You're going to start to sink. You're going to see the adversity. So what do you do when you're drowning? Well, we look at what Simon did. He understood that he messed up, he lost sight, and he knew exactly who to call as he was falling, as he was going into the water. Lord, save me! He had wisdom to do that. And it's the same thing for us. When we find ourselves drowning, when we find ourselves uh, too far off the path that God set out for us, that's the first thing you should do. When you realize, Lord, save me. And it shouldn't be like a, hey, hey, Lord, please, please help me out. No, it's not that, because if you are in the water and you're in the ocean and you're about to drown, you're about to go under, and you know you only have one breath left in you, how are you going to use that last breath? It's going to be, Lord, save me, please help me, right? It's not going to be, hey, it's not going to be that. And that's exactly what we need to do. When we find ourselves drowning, we need to be screaming, please save me. It reminds me of this story. Um, when I was little, I was probably like eight or nine years old, we had this tree in our front yard, and I used to love to go climb on it, right? I'd just go climb the tree. It was a big oak tree, and on this day, it's the middle of the summer, I decided that I'm going to go to like the next level. I'm climbing as high as I can. It probably wasn't really that high, but to me, it felt like I was standing on the edge of a cliff. So I get up there, right, and I'm climbing around, and I slip and kind of lose my grip, and I end up hanging on, so I'm, I'm up there, I'm hanging on like this, and I'm trying to like kick my feet up, you know, like monkey my way around and like climb back on, but it's not working. And I look down, and I'm just like this, I, I can't fall, I'm going to like break my leg. Uh, so I'm just, I'm just hanging there, and I'm just like, well, what, what can I do? I, 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 I'm not going to fall, I can't get back, and I just go, help, help me, help 
and I just start yelling. And, and I'm just like, somebody please, anybody please just come outside and help me. And it's like summer, middle of the day. So I'm like, there's no way. And I'm, so I'm, I'm mentally preparing myself to fall. But at the same time, I'm just like, help, help me. Well, luckily, my neighbor across the street was home. He's a sheriff's constable runs outside and like looks around and is list I can see him like listening for my voice. I'm like, help, help me, help, I'm over here. And so then he runs across the street and helps me down. But like in that moment, if I was like whispering, hey, help, that I, I would have broken my leg that day. So I was grateful that somebody heard me. And it's the same thing with us, right? We have somebody to call out to save us. And we can see that in Matthew. So Matthew 14, 31, it says, immediately, immediately after Simon calls out to him, Jesus stretched out his hand and took a hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got back into the boat, the wind stopped and those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, you certainly, you are certainly God's son. So I know some of us are like looking at Jesus going like, man, Jesus, like, cut, cut dude some slack. I mean, he was the only one that was out there, right? Like, well, everybody in the back is, like, chomping down on some Scooby snacks. He's the one that, like, stepped out for you. How are you giving him a hard time? But to me, I look at it, and the first thing that Jesus does, it says immediately he saves him, right? God's grace. Jesus' grace is the first reaction is he saves him. And then as he pulls him up, there's correction. He explains to him, what went wrong? What he was doing wrong? My dad saying, why'd you take your foot off the gas? Why would you do that? It's the same thing that he's doing right there. To me, what a graceful moment for Simon. Jesus is telling him exactly what went wrong and how he can fix it in the future. Because Jesus was looking at Simon saying, man, what great faith he used to step out onto this water. What great wisdom to discern that I was telling him, I am God out here. And so for, to see him do that and falter, it was like, man, I know you can do better than this, Simon. Come on. I know you can do better than this. And from that moment, things started to change. Simon had a little bit more faith, and we see this in Matthew 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's, that's an upgrade in title, right? He went from you of little faith to the rock upon which Jesus' church will be built. The gates of hell will not conquer him. But here he was drowning not too long ago. And it's because he didn't give up, right? When he was down there and he was drowning, 
Simon, Simon Peter, knew exactly who to call out to. He knew exactly what to do. He still had that faith. And it was because, in part, of him going into that water, getting pulled out, having Jesus correct him, that when Jesus was gone, he was able to maintain that faith. He was able to know that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, which was the Son of God, the one that was sent down to go up and die on the cross for our sins so that one day we could walk in heaven alongside him just by simply believing that that was true. That's it. So Peter traveled the world, spread the good news, spread the gospel, told people about this guy, Jesus, told people, I'm sure, about him walking in water and falling in and almost drowning and all the different stories that he had with Jesus. He understood exactly what it meant to be saved by Christ. He knew what it meant to reach his hand out and get pulled out from drowning. And right now, I want to give you guys that same opportunity. I want you guys to get, have the chance to have Jesus pull you out from drowning. So let's go ahead and pray. So if you're someone that's in a spot where you can see the wind and it's doing terrible things around you, or if you're someone who can feel the waves beneath you and they're getting way too high, or if you feel like you're drowning, I want you to reach your hand out. Reach it up. Reach it up like it's your last hope. And I want you to pray something to yourself like this with me. Lord, save me. Help me get back on the path that you want me to be on. I can't do this without you. My strength is not enough. I need you. Help me keep my eyes fixed on you. Help me to keep my foot on the gas going towards you. Thank you for everything that you've done for me in my life. I love you. And I will chase after you in the best way I know how. And it's in your name, Jesus Christ, that I pray this. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.